It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hey, welcome to another episode of Movies You Should Love. Um, I am Lauren, and this is... A very sickly Scott. Ah, yes, this should prove a nice sniffly episode. Uh, It is episode 22, where we are talking about number 78 on AFI's top 100 list, Modern Times, the Charlie Chaplin classic. Um... Anyhow, as always, you can uh, be a part of our conversation either on Facebook at facebook.com slash movies you should, on Twitter at movies you should, uh, or on our website at movies you should love.com. Um, those are all wonderful places to find us. And be sure to leave us a rating on iTunes if you use iTunes. Um, those help us, which helps us help you. Um, <laughs> anyhow, so yeah, um, let's get right into stuff here. Scott. What have we been up to? And by we, I mean you specifically. <laughs> it seems I've gotten myself into the habit of like one week I'll watch a lot of movies and I'll come back here and I'll get to talk about them. And then I'll have a week where I have no time at all to do anything other than sleep, work, and other projects and not any movies. So we're in that week in which um, since last week I've only really watched one movie, which is Modern Times. Um, I've been extremely busy because last weekend was uh, Fluke uh, 2012, which is a independent comic book and independent comic and magazine artist convention. It takes place in Athens, Georgia every year. Uh, Dean Tripp invited me to come down. He's like, you should come down. It'll be awesome. We'll you know, hang out. You'll get to meet people. And this was technically my first uh, comic convention which I kind of was shocked to realize when I started thinking about it. Um, and it was super cool. We went down there, and I hung out uh, all day. Got to meet uh, Jason Horn, who's a super cool guy who uh, writes and draws Ninja Sore, which, <laughs> yeah, which is kind of as cool as it sounds. Um, it's super great. Uh, you should check out with those guys if you haven't already. Um, but we got to hang out with them. It was stayed up way too late talking about uh, Star Trek and all other things, and comic book and movie-related and Dean introduced me to Red Letter Media. Have you seen any of these little videos? I have not. They are super awesome and addictive, and um, it's basically this guy posts these reviews of movies while showing clips of the movies, and he kind of plays this character where he's kind of like a serial killer. (laughs) 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 He's like, yeah, it's like, he'll start talking about, like, you know, he'll start going, you know, why did they do that? That's what I did when I killed my first wife. I mean, pizza rolls. Would you like some pizza rolls? It's like, it's super random. But he, this guy's actually a really good reviewer. He's He clearly knows what he's talking about. And he, he really does kind of target like Star Wars, Star Trek movies, kind of slightly nerdier type movies but we watched like four of them on Saturday night. And it's, it's a lot, it's, it's really fun. It's like, and anyway, I was doing that. And then I got home uh, early Sunday morning, and then uh, promptly set to work on this web series. Uh, a friend of mine, Tom Goddard, um, has uh, invited me to act in his web series. I've been, I kind of, um, when I'm not recording podcasts and watching movies, I'm writing and sometimes acting in uh, web series and uh, short films and whatnot. And so this is one that I had nothing to do with up until now when he, like I said, he asked me to play a part. It's a six-part miniseries. You can find it, or it'll be a six-part web series, and you'll be you can find its website or its Facebook page, I should say, on Facebook. Just type in "The Scent of Lavender." Um, I think you'll be able to find it pretty easily. It's a uh, small but growing Facebook page, um, and it's and we've been filming that till midnight the past couple of nights. We've been filming down in the courthouse. It's the whole thing kind of revolves around a murder trial, and um, 
it's I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be really good. I, I know there's a lot of really talented people involved and what he's pulling off with the locations and some of the actors he's been able to uh, wrangle into this because like it's one of these projects where like no there's no budget for this. It's like everybody's kind of doing it because uh, everybody loves to make movies. Everybody loves to act and you know pull this stuff off. And so um, it's been a lot of fun, but it also leads to a lot of exhaustion. And I'm just playing a very small part, so I can't imagine how exhausted he must be today but like i was telling you earlier um after this podcast pretty sure a nap is in my future so indeed yeah <laughs> well cool um i have been able to watch a couple of things i snuck them in uh during some render time and stuff uh which i probably should have used for sleeping um <laughs> but let's see what have i watched um the first thing I saw was actually a, uh, a pilot, well not a pilot, it's the first episode of a new TV show that's coming to AMC. Um, I think April 30th is is when it's premiering, so um, by the time you hear this, it may already have premiered, but as of now, it hasn't yet. Um, but the, the first episode was on Netflix, and it is called The Pitch. Um, and this is a perfect show for AMC to have. It's, it's like the perfect tie-in for Mad Men, um, because this show... Um, basically takes um, well like in this in this pilot episode um, Subway is has been rolling out their breakfast line of, of meals and so forth and they need to have a new ad campaign that specifically targets the 18 to 25 year old demographic and try to get them to come have breakfast at Subway or have right. breakfast at all uh, those are both kind of important things that they're trying to get that age group to do so they bring in two different ad agencies um to compete against each other um but in like a very real way not in like a reality show way it's like this okay. is actually like they're coming in it's more of a documentary about- it's more of a documentary um and then it follows these two ad, ad agencies putting their campaigns together um and then subway gets, has to pick one at the end it's very um yeah, it's it's really intense because it's they have like this really narrow time frame. Um, there's like these meetings where ideas don't fly and people are getting really frustrated and um, you know it's it's really high stakes because it's you know a million dollar kind of account kind of thing and um, you know one of the ad agencies is kind of this big LA ad agency and the other one is this you know little tiny southern ad agency that you know this will be a huge deal to and uh anyhow and that's the whole point of the series every episode is going to be a different company with a different um needing a different ad campaign and um following the uh ad agencies putting together their pitch you know pitches for those uh to try to win those accounts so it's it's basically like some of the best parts of mad men Cool. Only modern. So cool. right. it, that's pretty fun. Um, I'm really excited to see if they can keep it up, you know, what kind of companies and agencies and kinds of things they'll actually right. be able to get with it. Because it has the potential to turn into, you know, you can see some really cool stuff in it, I think. Cool. Um, so, yeah. Um, another film that I watched, uh, not entirely sure why, but um, but I did watch it. Uh, was Tower Heist the uh, Ben Stiller, uh, Eddie Murphy uh, yeah. comedy that came out? I guess last year sometime. It was last year, yeah. Yeah, I think in the fall. Um, I went in with really really low expectations. This was kind of one of those. I was in between renders late at night, and I'm like, I don't really have anything better to do. <laughs> and here's a movie I, that exists. Here's a movie that exists, <laughs> and. 
you know, I really don't have the brain power to keep up with something any more intense than this because I'm already in this other project. (laughs) And so I kind of put this on. It kind of was in the background a little bit. And you know what? Going in with absolutely no expectations, it was okay. It's okay. it's not. It is certainly not Eddie Murphy's worst work to date, and it actually has um, some pretty decent sequences in it. Uh, my favorite is there's the whole thing is shot in I guess New York, and there is are, are several um, homages to the French Connection in it, nice. um, and so including one where they basically completely recreate the chase sequence. Um, underneath the uh, the bridges and everything. Nice. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. So there, there's a couple of things in it that are worthwhile. Uh, the rest of it, eh, you know. It's yeah. it's kind of what you would expect from a Eddie Murphy, Ben Stiller so, movie about yeah. heist. corporate America <laughs> and heists. Right. So, yeah. Um, let's see. And then uh, I also watched Everything Must Go, the Will Ferrell mm-hmm. uh, that? dramedy. I really liked it. It, um, you know, it's, it's, it walks this line. It's, it is Will Ferrell doing his stranger than fiction type of performance rather okay. than his anchor man kind of performance. So it's, it's, it's him actually acting in a more serious sort of way. Okay. But the script still has room for some comedy and things in it, but it's not, his broader comedy it's it's right. much more subtle um but yeah it's you know it's it's more of a drama than a comedy it's um it's this guy who really has the worst week of his life that kind of turns him around he he gets fired from his job um um he's an alcoholic and who falls back into it and his wife leaves him and throws all of his stuff out of the house onto the front yard and uh, he's locked out of the house and so he basically spends a week homeless on his front yard Um, and it's kind of what happens with him and the neighborhood and him kind of coming to grips with the reality of his situation and just where he is and it's it's the kind of story that could have gone way too far in like his self-realizations and kinds of things like that Mm -hmm. and it doesn't and that i really liked that about it It, he doesn't he grows but he doesn't grow so far that it's unbelievable you know it's it's that kind of a journey which i really enjoyed there are a couple of elements to it there's there's a um a subplot with a detective friend of his that has kind of a twist at the end of it that is broadcast from about a thousand miles away and you kind of see it coming um basically the very first time you see this character and so that doesn't work as well as it should um there's a couple of interactions with some of the neighbors that feel a little forced um specifically steven root's character Mm -hmm. the the i don't it's it's it just doesn't quite fit the rest of the movie um, I don't really feel it. It's kind of it goes for broad humor, right? In kind of some ways that I don't really feel the rest of the movie heads for, right? Um, so there's there's a couple of little missteps in it, but overall, pretty pretty decent. Good. Um, good. Yeah, uh, I mean, and this movie I've been I've been wanting to see, but it's like kind of like you said, like I like the Will Ferrell Stranger Than Fiction. Mm-hmm. I'm not the hugest fan of. Will Ferrell, though you know, like the Talladega Nights, mm-hmm. the Anchorman, the stuff like that. It's like I can take those in small doses, but I am 
but so that that's what's kind of kept me away is going, what kind yeah. of movie is this that I'm going to get into? Yeah, and that's that's definitely you know, Stranger in Fiction is definitely the better movie here. Um, but this is this is decent as well. Cool. Um, and it's on Netflix streaming right now. So if you oh. are a Netflix streamer, you have no reason not to watch it, other than you know time constraints or those sorts of things. Um, uh, so yeah, that's ease. <laughs> yes. Um, and then the last thing that I did watch, and and I'm not going to get really into this, but um, I watched the movie. This film is not yet rated, which I've seen before. Yeah, I've seen but this. I wanted I, I wanted to go review it again because you and I have been talking a little bit about some concepts here and um basically this movie is a look at the mpaa rating system here in america um and you know basically how a movie gets its gpg pg-13 r nc-17 rating right um this film is not rated um and so i just need to say that up front is that if you go into this it is it has a lot of objectionable content in it, be- purposefully. Yes. Because they're exploring what make the difference between a PG-13 and an R, or an R and an NC-17. Because sometimes you see examples right. of this. Exactly. Um, and so it is... You just have to know going into it that it is that. Um, but it is also a movie that is going to make you uh, incredibly upset at the way things are in the industry. Um Anyhow, so I, I think that at some point, probably soon, Scott and I are going to record a podcast. I don't really want to get into this movie too much, because I think I think we're going to do a podcast about ratings and the MPAA and yeah. all of that. I think there's a bigger discussion to be had about yeah. some of that. So, um, look for that shortly. Coming soon. Yes. But for now... <laughs> Modern Times, <laughs> number 78 on AFI's Top 100, uh, released in 1936, written and directed and starring Charlie Chaplin. He also music, had, yes. I was say, he also had a very big hand in the uh, composition of the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, this is a, I, I love this movie. This is a, I feel like a really, really great movie. Um, Spoiler of our spo- indie uh, Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> But th- it's really interesting because this movie, it's, um, well, this is the last time Chaplin played his tramp character. Mm-hmm. And so you have this character that he's been playing for, at this point, a solid 20 years, I believe, um, in different short films and feature lengths. And this was going to be the tramp's uh, swan song. And uh, so what we have in this movie is the tramp kind of starts off as a factory worker. And it's kind of an exploration of modern times as we kind of see them in the 1930s with a slight look into the future. You know, when we look at the way the factory is built, the way it runs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about the, the hard times of a man. And when about halfway through, we meet the heroine of the story and just the hard times of two people trying to make it in a world that is in the middle of a Great Depression. They kind of, throughout the film, they both are kind of searching for an occupation. They both want a home. They both want to live happily ever after. And it's really hard. Mm-hmm. And hilarious. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that's that's what's really, um, to me, very interesting about this movie, is that it really does take on, I mean, tons of societal themes. I mean, just taking on the concept of the Great Depression alone... Yeah, would be, you know, 
a lot to take in. But I mean, this has jobs questions. It has um, you know things about homelessness and things about um, the social welfare system, and yeah. it has things about communism and about <laughs> yep. capitalism and humanism and, yep. Yep. and um, labor unions and oh. I, I mean, you name it. If it's something that could even remotely fit into this, there is. There is something in this movie about that. Yeah, and what's really astounding is that while it it, it approaches all those topics mm-hmm. and even maybe addresses some of them, it's always through comedy. He never mm-hmm. really seems to get too preachy about anything. He never, you don't really see the way he plays off some of those topics. You're never quite sure how he, as the filmmaker, feels about those topics. Exactly. It, just, it seems to be like, oh. And you've heard about the labor disputes here. You know, here the tramp inadvertently finds himself in the middle of one of those labor disputes. Look at the way the police treat him. Isn't that terrible? Moving on. <laughs> but then at some point you might also see the police treat someone well. So it's not right. It's not it, even a condemnation of the police. It's no. it's very even keeled throughout the whole movie. Right. It never yeah. really takes a side. It doesn't at all. And so um, it's a really fun film. I mean, all the way through. I mean, he kind of. Uh, accidentally finds himself involved with a lot of things, and there's I'm not even sure where to begin. <laughs> you, you know, other, um, this movie also is interesting because this was originally going to be uh, he wrote a full dialogue filled script with this because at this point, you know, this is a largely silent film, but at this point, um, there were talkies. You know, they did exist. This wouldn't have been the first talkie. This would have been Chaplin's first. But as he kind of got into uh, further along into pre-production, he kind of felt like it would be wrong to give the Tramp a voice because the Tramp has always been a silent character. And so he felt the audience always supplied the Tramp's voice and their imagination had given him a voice and an accent and all of these things. And so he ultimately decided to make it a silent film. That being said, there's some really fascinating uses of dialogue in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Specifically, it seems to always come from technology. Like it's, you don't often see someone actually talking on screen. It'll be the only time you see someone talking is through, basically, a video phone or a, a phone that projects, you know, the screen kind of like our, uh, kind of like a Jetsons phone. Yeah, like a Jetsons thing. phone. Like it kind of pop, a guy will pop up on screen like, "Hey, get back to work. What are you doing here?" You know. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, like you hear voices over the radio. You'll hear. Um, voices over like a, a record player, a gramophone during a certain presentation of a moment. Um, and so you hear voices then, and there's a, you know, there's a, uh, the soundtrack is synchronized. There's, there are, inter- and he also has a very interesting use of sound effects in this. So he really kind of chose when to use dialogue, when to use sound. Um, but in a lot of ways, this kind of does operate um, and really is a classic silent film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's I think this really well I think this is maybe the biggest theme of this movie is kind of this this concept of where technology fits in with society and kind of uh, you know uh, there's so much of it that is spent either dealing with technology and I think that right. goes to the point of this modern times kind of thing. And I think that that discussion even comes up in his use of the sound in this movie. Yeah. Um especially cuz I mean that was kind of the the big new technology on the block you know at this point it had been around for a while and and so this was a very interesting movie for him to make choices about how to use sound how not to use sound um 
And overall, he almost always makes the right choice in this. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of fantastic. It 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 kind of turns it into I know we've said this about like the Marx brothers and some other movies, but this truly turns into like a cartoon almost. Oh yeah. Um, because of the of the use of sound effects and the um and the lack of dialogue. So much of this is is told through slapstick mm-hmm. or through body language or, or it's just it's a very fascinating it's, melding of times and technologies it's um, very smart filmmaking yeah you know, really choosing the right time and the right place uh to use sound and he does it in a way that honestly you never feel like it i don't know i never really felt like i wanted to hear or see more he always mm-hmm. used it right at the right moment to punctuate either a joke or to heighten a scene and sometimes used no sound to heighten the scene and kind of choosing when to rely on the music when to add that extra sound you know would people notice the fact that the tramp falls in water and doesn't hear sound so there's a splash of water when he falls in the water you know um mm-hmm. but there's there's no sound you know you see people talking and you know what they say but you don't ever hear what they say. Mm-hmm. You know, there are there is a kind of a spare use of um, title cards that kind of mm-hmm. pop up throughout the film. Um, but there's also a lot of times that you see people talking, and you can clearly see what they're saying. You completely understand what's going on, but you don't hear it. And it's I think it's to the credit of Chaplin and his actors that I don't know they convey a very layered story, I and mean, even. I say layered just because of how many themes are going on. It's a very simple story. The scenes mm-hmm. are very simple when it comes right down to it. But you are swept up in it in a, in, the, in a way that you don't question anything. You don't ever wonder someone's motivation. You don't ever wonder why they're behaving the way they're behaving or you know, what they're saying. You're, you're just you're in for the ride. You're there to experience this story. Yeah. Um no, I, I completely agree. The other thing that I would say is that this movie is truly a testament of like a filmmaker as the storyteller. Yeah. I love that Chaplin wrote, direct, and starred in it. I mean, this is this is very much, you know, he's very much the auteur of this piece. It's not just yeah. a, it's not just a director controlling a movie. It's it's it is a complete. Um, a complete picture from Chaplin's mind, mm-hmm. performed by him, written, you know, everything comes from him. Mm-hmm. And he has the final editing say on it. He has the music, yeah. you know, everything, the sound design. He's kind of the controlling force behind it in, yeah. in a way that you don't really see mm-hmm. in a lot of movies, uh, especially after this um coming up into the studio system and stuff you just don't see that type of filmmaking anymore for for uh, you know until the 70s really and yeah. um you know this is just a fantastic uh a fantastic picture of what a single focus of an mm-hmm. individual can do for filmmaking mm-hmm. you know which is not to discredit of course his crew or anything like that but it's it's just a, a a very very interesting thing it is and it and he it, it's fascinating some of the his use of technology in this mm-hmm. you embracing what he can do and pulling off special effects that you will not realize are special effects <laughs> there's a couple of scenes there's one scene in particular that i i was watching it and i was like this has to be a special effect there's a scene where him and uh his uh he's she's not his girlfriend there's a they have a very 
almost childlike platonic relationship, him and this girl. Um, but they kind of break into this apartment store or they're, they're there after hours at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put on roller skates and they start skating around and there's, a, he is skating very close to this, like there's like a construction site basically. And the railing is gone. So you can see down two or three floors of this huge, uh, uh, department store and he's skating really close to the edge like you keep thinking he's gonna fall off this thing and it's really you're watching it going that can't be real there's no way i mean even if he is that good of a skater he is really close there's no way and turns out it is a special effect but it is one that you know it is so seamless and it, once you find out how they pulled it off it is really impressive basically they had a um, it's a matte painting but mm-hmm. you can't tell it's a matte painting because the camera travels during that's what really helps sells it is that the camera will kind of pan back and forth and you know back and forth into this and out of this matte painting and it's like well how did they do that and uh, I got the Blu-ray Criterion collection of this movie um, for Christmas and so I don't know I, I'm assuming it's on the DVD as well but there's this really fascinating uh, behind the scenes look at some of the special effects in this movie and basically at the time I'm assuming you'd probably still pull this off today but today it would just be in a computer um, but basically that scene was filmed through a plane of glass and they painted this one area to look like you know that was the map painting they painted this uh, area where you could see down two or three floors and then the camera could like you know it could kind of pan with him and it could move back and forth because the camera sees in two dimensions and not three and so it just to the camera and then to the audience it looks like there's this you know cliff that he is skating around but on set it's just like he's just kind of taped it off like don't go past this mark (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh they sell it really well to the point of even they put some foreground images or objects they put some objects in the foreground like there's a there's a uh a board and a danger sign that were there on set and they extend into the map painting so that there's like this blending of real items and fake items and it's just phenomenal work. Yeah, I, I would say it's one of the most successful, you know, pre-CG matte paintings probably yeah. in cinema history. Um, yeah, and the fact that it's black and white probably helps. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just it's a, it's astonishing, really. Yeah, um, yeah, and and there are uh, amazingly interesting effects. I mean, yeah, some of my Lots favorite stuff. Extensive I've, use of the miniatures. And- yeah. Yeah, there's some great miniature stuff. Uh, you know, I love a lot of the things with the uh, the big machines and some of the humor around the the machines yeah. and stuff. I love I love some of that. That's that's some of my favorite things. Um, yeah, like when they when they first introduced the factory, he's working and there's two or three shots that show these huge pieces of machinery. And honestly, the way it's filmed, the way it looks, I just assumed it was all built. I the machinery does have a certain look to it that you go, I don't no idea what that machine does, <laughs> you know, but it looks real enough that you accept that it was probably there. Nope. Turns out it was a miniature hanging in front of the camera. They would just hang these, you know, tiny miniatures in front of the camera to obstruct the lens in such a way that it would look like, you know, it was actually a very large thing that, you know, extends out. And then they would just tell people where to walk, you know, so it looks like they're walking around this item and mm-hmm. you can't tell until it's pointed out to you you cannot you don't see it it's really amazing yeah um i I think that's what really really works about this movie is that chaplin's tramp character Mm -hmm. seems effortless yeah which hides the amount of effort 
and work and thought that truly went into making this movie. Um, he is a master craftsman. That I wa- I've watched this movie a couple times now. So this time when I watched it, I actually watched it with the commentary rolling, and uh, it's a really great commentary that's included on the the Criterion Collection. Um, but they talk. He talked about how there were. He had the guy who's doing the the commentary has uh, he had access to all these logs of like of the film days like the, the is it Warner Brothers United Artists maybe I think Who, United Artists yeah whoever it was that he was making this movie with they have all these logs of like what was accomplished today what was accomplished today and so like this the so he would point out there were certain scenes like the when he breaks out of jail and he fights the guys by hitting him in the head with the door and all of that that was filmed over one day but like. When you say we filmed for an entire day, you would assume a lot, a lot, a lot of film would be shot, but that's not the case at all. Like they shot like only not a hundred feet of film, but like a really like one reel, like really a small amount of film, considering how long they were working. And it's because he would rehearse over and over again to get all of the slapstick and make it look so effortless. But he was a perfectionist on set. He wanted to make sure the characters were conveying the what they wanted and the stunts were pulled off in a way that looked haphazardous and spontaneous and crazy but ultimately weren't and couldn't be because very specific things need to be pulled off mm-hmm. yeah um yeah it's uh to me this is this is one of the the crowning achievements of silent film technically after the silent film era but you know, I, I think it still, I think it still fits within that, and and you know, definitely, um, you know, you look at something like this, and it really is kind of the perfection of a genre, is yeah. what I would say. Yeah. Um, not to get into a verdict sort of territory with it, but I mean that's that's truly where mm-hmm. um, where I would come down on this. You know, we talked about Sunrise mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago. And there's a lot of technical things that can be said about that, about the way they they freed up the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie has as many technical sorts of things. They're just in a different arena, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, and so Sunrise might have some beautiful technical sorts of things to it, but this movie is actually both fun and funny. Yeah. And even still relevant in some of the things that it's saying. And and truly, kind of a step above where where most silent films hit. I absolutely agree, and we can roll right into the verdict since that's what it seems like we're doing. <laughs> Sorry, no, that's fine because I mean, there's really I mean, this is one of those movies that we could talk about each individual scene, but it's really a movie that needs to be seen because yeah, it exactly. is a silent film. It is. Um, this movie really is why I think I didn't enjoy Sunrise, A Tale of Two Cities as much as, <laughs> as much as I kind of wanted to, because this movie is filled with so much. Like To me, this movie really is art, because you walk away in the audience, you walk away with so many questions and thoughts and ideas, as well as having laughed for the last hour and a half or however long it is. Um, like the human is like the humanism versus capitalism, or is it technology and dehumanization, the treatment of labor disputes, being arrested, and um, cocaine is in this movie. It's like there's a lot of really interesting things that are in a movie from 1936, but it it, it has so much in it that other silent films that maybe only have just one of those things mm-hmm. suddenly feels like a very 
uh, anemic film. It's just kind of like, oh, well, this could have been so much more. Look what Chaplin did just, you know, six years later or whatever, you know. Um, it's a really fun film. And it, like I said, he has, there's a lot going on thematically, but ultimately it's just a very funny movie. Um, that has a lot of stuff in it that, again, I've, I know I've brought up I Love Lucy before, but there's several scenes in this that are like, this is clearly where that idea came from, you know? Uh, if you love that chocolate uh, factory scene from I Love Lucy, check this movie out. This is probably where that idea came from. Yeah. Because there's a very similar scene very early in the movie where Chaplin is caught up with a conveyor belt because he's working and it leads to a nervous breakdown. <laughs> but it's really just... A, it is great. I, yeah. And the the tramp is a iconic kind of American symbol, I think. He's one of those characters that will always kind of be around, even if he has slightly forgotten. Maybe he's not as big as he used to be. There was a time that he and Mickey Mouse were like the two American symbols. You know, it's like, this is such a perfect metaphor for the human or the American experience. Um, and I think it's pretty phenomenal. I love Chaplin. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree. You know, this movie, it, the best thing I can say about it is it still works today. It's a movie you can watch today and still, and still enjoy, not just because it's an art movie, but because it's actually an enjoyable movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that says something, especially given some of the other films that we have been watching recently. Absolutely. I mean, you, I know some people might go, oh, it's black and white. Oh, it's silent film. I mean, it's silent. Uh, you won't notice about five minutes in. Like you'll yeah. really stop caring because you'll just be laughing, and yeah. it's that there's something to be said for that. Yeah, um, I would definitely say you know if you can get the Blu-ray collector or the Criterion Collection edition, there's some. It, it's both a beautiful film transfer and the extra features are all worth watching, listening to whatever yeah. on it. There's a great uh, one, my favorite uh, extra feature on the blu-ray is a documentary specifically talking about uh the special effects and uh ben burt and another guy are the two main like one of the main special effects guys who worked on star wars another guy who works at pixar mm-hmm. um basically the two guys responsible for wally <laughs> are sitting there talking about how this movie influenced them so much throughout their entire career and how they actually had to sit down and figure out how they pulled off certain special effects because they wanted to do it in their own movies mm-hmm. and that's really pretty phenomenal and interesting to watch yeah if you um if you don't have access to the the criterion collection disc um this is also where i will mention hulu plus um hulu plus has i believe most of the criterion collection on streaming right now um so if you join hulu plus you can get all of the yes or a majority of the criterion collection movies uh including this one and it has a beautiful beautiful HD version of it as well. I think it's. I mean, it, it is from the uh, from the Blu-ray. You know, it is it is put into Hulu's format, but it it looks great. So there are some wonderful options for seeing this movie right now. It has never looked better. This is than true. It does today. And if you can't find those, there was also a couple years back. I have a couple of these. Um, I think it's MK2 put out a, the Chaplin collection. Um, like they did City Lights, they did Modern Times, they did The Great Dictator. Um, and they're all like double disc sets that are just loaded with special features and short films and outtakes and behind the looks, behind this looks of this, behind the scenes looks of mm-hmm. some of these movies. And they're all really great too. I pick with them up every time I find them at my local used media store. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, uh, some some suggestions. Scott mentioned a couple of them, but I'm just going to go in some other movies to watch if you are interested in this movie or you know have liked it. Um, City Lights is another great Chaplin flick. Uh, the Gold Rush is another mm-hmm. really good Chaplin movie. Those are both some some earlier work of his that I've really enjoyed. Um, you know, well worth your time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you want to see kind of the other mover and shaker um, who is often kind of compared to Chaplin, mm-hmm. uh, Buster Keaton was, was the other major um, uh, star. And he is uh, the general is his biggest movie, which is often considered the greatest silent film ever made. This is true. You, can, you can argue that however you feel like it, but <laughs> uh, it's well worth it to kind of compare and contrast with, Charlie Chaplin. So uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you've never watched a Chaplin film, I would actually maybe recommend starting with one of his shorts. And one of my favorites is *The Immigrant*. Uh, it tells the story of a couple of immigrants, and it's just filled with your, the kind of silent slapstick you kind of imagine would be in a silent comedy, and it's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite, maybe my favorite Chaplin film of all time, is *The Great Dictator*. When I just it's a mentioned great movie. Um, What's so phenomenal about The Great Dictator is that it was actually released a year before America got involved with World War II, and the whole thing is a slam on the Nazi party. It's like, it's, uh, Chap, uh, some people kind of forget or don't realize that Chaplin was actually an Englishman who was living here in America, and in be- I think it was right after he released um, Modern Times, he kind of went on a worldwide tour that lasted about 18 months before he made another movie. And during that time, he started to see these things happening in Europe that he was not fond of at all. He was a very... He was a a humanist in the best form of the word. And so he came back to America and made The Great Dictator. And it's clearly poking fun of Hitler and the Nazi Party. And it is hilarious and awesome. And it is actually his first talkie. (laughs) Um... It is really, really great. Um, And if you're interested in the story of Chaplin, back in 1992, uh, a little-known actor named Robert Downey Jr. starred in a movie called Chaplin, which was directed by Richard Attenborough, I believe, the guy who directed Gandhi, um, and played the grandfather in Jurassic Park. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's a a movie just filled with actors. Like, every scene you can recognize somebody, and they're all playing all these really these real people as it's a really interesting biopic because not only is it telling Chaplin's story, but they kind of do it in a slightly fanciful way. There's certain things that happen that are meant to be a little less realistic. Um, it's a fun movie. Um, last thing I would recommend if you want something even a little bit more modern, um, Benny and June is a movie that stars Johnny Depp. If you haven't seen it, it's kind of an odd, quirky 1990s romantic comedy. But Johnny Depp plays a character who is uh, absolutely fascinated um, by Buster Keaton and uh, Charlie Chaplin. There's a lot of antics that take place in that film that are very clearly uh, inspired by or direct homages or lifts from Chaplin and uh, Keaton's movies. So... You know, if that's if that's the road it takes to get you into Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, I am all for it because Johnny Depp is great in it, uh, Aiden Quinn is in it, and he's great. And um, it's a, so yeah. So is that I would walk five hundred miles song? Yeah, it starts with that song, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a nice introduction because you kind of see a lot. You can it helps you appreciate some of the physicality that these guys do in the movies, and it's you know through Johnny Depp, who everybody loves. So why not? Indeed. 
All right, well, there you go. That uh, that was Modern Times. Um, join us next time. We are going to be talking about number 77 on AFI's Top 100 Films. Another one of my favorite films. Yes, All the President's Men. Um, it is. It's, it's a good movie, and uh, it may just inspire you to want to go be a journalist. So, I know uh, it did for me for about <laughs> a couple of months there. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be talking about that next time. Uh, until then, you can always check us out on Twitter at Movies You Should or on Facebook, mm-hmm. facebook.com slash Movies You Should, or always at our website, Movies You Should Love. Please do. Yeah. We would love to uh, hear what you have to say. So um, we will see you next time. See you then. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 